friends and colleagues, and welcome to Dermosphere, the podcast by dermatologists, for dermatologists, and for the dermatologically curious. This is a bonus episode. This is an episode with a couple of our new friends from another dermatology podcast called Topical. Recently, Michelle and I sat down with Christina and Arash virtually to talk about, well, you'll find out. If you would like to check out more about Topical, and I think that you should, you should be able to find them on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and I've also put some information in the show notes. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Topical, the dermatology podcast where we apply our thoughts to your burning questions. Listeners, welcome back to Topical. I am Chris Liu. I'm Arash Masagimi, and we're here with. This is Michelle Tarbox. And I am Luke Johnson. Michelle and I are part of another dermatology podcast called Dermosphere. <laughs> it is so wonderful to have you guys here with us. And this is our first, uh, well, crossover podcast episode and our first time recording over Zoom with four people. So. Prepare is... for chaos. <laughs> this this reminds me. There's so much good lookingness going on on the screen. It could explode. But yes, also <laughs> chaos. <laughs> this reminds me when I was a kid and you'd watch like, um, like Urkel would show up on like the other show. It was like the crossover episodes on like ABC Family. Uh, none of our viewers or none of our listeners are going to have any understanding. That was like a hundred years ago, but it used to be a really big deal when you'd have like sitcom stars from one episode go on the other episode. They were ironically always terrible episodes, but you're so excited to see all the people in one place that you, that you enjoyed it. This, I promise you, will not be like that. This will be excellent. <laughs> will be excellent. Can I give a brief intro to our special guests? Of course. Perfect. So Michelle, she is an assistant professor of dermatology at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. She's also a fellowship trained dermatopathologist. So welcome. And Luke is also a bow tie aficionado like uh, Arash, although he's not wearing a bow tie right now. He's an assistant professor of dermatology <laughs> at the University of Utah School of Medicine, and he's a fellowship trained pediatric dermatologist, but he sees adults and kids. And um, the two of them have an amazing podcast that we've also been enjoying and we want to introduce our listeners to. Tell us about Dermosphere, guys. What's, what's your podcast about? It is about keeping dermatologic clinicians up to date on the latest research that we feel is the most valuable to know if you're practicing clinical dermatology. And we reviewed one of Dr. Mostagimi's articles. Actually, I think we've reviewed a couple of them over the course of our <laughs> lifetime here, uh, which is how we became acquainted. And so when I was a resident and then fellow and then a young attending, I thought to myself, man, there's a lot of stuff to read. I wish there was just like a podcast so I could listen to it. And there were some podcasts out there. There weren't very many when I was a resident. There are a few more now. Actually, there's quite a few now. I believe you wrote an article expressing the landscape of dermatology podcasts. There, there's a number of them. That was awesome. None of them did quite what I was hoping for, though. So um, big props <laughs> to the University of Utah. And I know a lot of the listeners of Topical are people who are going into dermatology. So when you're looking for what program you might want to be into, one of the nice things about this one is that they really are supportive of you pursuing your passions. So mm -hmm. I said, you know, I've always wanted this to exist. Maybe I could make it. And they said, that sounds great. Go for it. So that's how it came to be. 
And how did you and Michelle meet? Ah, so I actually got to train sweet Dr. Johnson. So I was um, the, I guess, it was, I think it was my second or third year here at Texas Tech when we had Luke come join us as a resident and I got to participate in his residency training and education. Mm -hmm. And he was just always a lot of fun to work with. Um, a bow tie guy, of course, which is always <laughs> going to bring a little personality into the room. And then Luke and I both actually have theater backgrounds um, and acting backgrounds. So, you know, sort of a natural fit if you're looking for somebody to do something that requires a lot of talking to pick someone who enjoys doing those things. Uh, so I think it was it was just a perfect match. When I was coming up with the idea, I didn't want it to be just me. As much as I like to hear myself talk, I know other people <laughs> probably not the same degree of enthusiasm. So I was making a list of people who would be good co-hosts and wrote down Michelle's name and figured I was done with the list. <laughs> I'm really seeing uh, a lot of eerie parallels here, not, <laughs> aside from just the bow tie wearing, but the but the but the affinity for talking. No, but. Uh, I, I definitely think that, um, actually, you know, we, uh, Arash and I ran a, a workshop on how to podcast and that was really very early in our podcasting career. So that's truly, it's like, see one, do one, teach one that we pulled off. But I remember one of the things that we talked about Arash was, um, choosing whether to, to, to go solo at the podcast, um, world or to find a co-host. And I think with the co-host, there's just so much, uh, the, the, the conversational chemistry, being able to banter, being able to have someone, um, bring a different perspective is really invaluable. And now I'm like, hey, having four people sounds pretty great too. So uh, we'll have to maybe consider branching out even further. Yeah. I have some questions about about your your podcast and how you do it. My real motivation for bringing you on this episode of Topical though is that I got second place award for my paper last year. And I feel that contesting elections is like totally normal nowadays. So I really wanted to uh, address uh, this. <laughs> I'm totally uh, so I really like, uh, Luke, the, the idea of trying to basically sift through all of the research that is done. You know, dermatology used to really be just what you read in the JAD, just what you read in JAMA Dermatology. And now most of the, uh, like many programs when I was training, your journal club would literally like for the cover going through these like physically in print even and just talking about the journal the journal articles there. Now we have more dermatology journals. Of course, you have BJD, which was always there, but you have expansions into not just JID, but JID has a like a, a, a an international part. JAD has an international part. The additional case reports, and then finally, dermatology literature is also expanding into mainstream literature. So you see articles in New England Journal and JAMA and, and Lancet and other places. So a lot of us, I think, gave up on just trying to keep up with the literature uh, overall. So I applaud you for uh, this effort. What's your process like for going through the literature and figuring out what articles you want to highlight? So the goal of Dermosphere is really to, well, impact patient care through people practicing clinical dermatology. So I really am looking for articles that are things that I can do in clinic like the next day. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in research and like future drugs that aren't yet approved and stuff, but that's sort of secondary. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I get an, I have signed up to receive emails of the tables of contents for like the three major dermatology journals, the JAD, JAMA Dermatology, and the JID. So every month I get a big old email with all the table of contents. And then I also have signed up on PubMed. If you want, you can create 
a little service where you can have them email you every week or even every day, I think, with particular keywords and things. So I did that for words like dermatology and rash and those sorts of things. Mm. And I get these emails. So I look through all the titles. If the title grabs me, I skim through the abstract. If the abstract still grabs me, then I download the article into one of two folders, generic folder or possibly excellent article. And <laughs> that is how I get most of the articles for discussion. Wow. And I think that that tool you're pointing out of using the PubMed feature where you can get notifications is so helpful. I have those set up for things that are areas of focus for me. So I am a dermatopathologist and a dermoscopy nerd, but I'm also a hair person because I was trained by Wilma Bergfeld. So it was like faded in the stars. So a lot of my <laughs> like notifications are like in Plano Pilaris and um, CPCA mm. and things like that. So for people out there who are going into dermatology, that's one approach. And especially if you have a specific interest, like if there's a particular disease that really gets you going, like vitiligo or hydratinitis suppurativa or something, mm -hmm. you can really focus on that stuff. And if you read all the stuff that comes out in vitiligo, it's a lot less than all the stuff that comes out in dermatology. And you can really turn yourself into an expert. Yeah, I think that's an excellent, the, that, that approach, Luke, you're doing it for the podcast, but I think it's an excellent approach for learners in general. So I split up my reading of journals into two different groups. One is general dermatology knowledge. And this is a lot of things. For example, I'm not a, like Chris is a vitiligo expert. I'm not, I still feel like I need to have some understanding of what's mm -hmm. happening in the field. Like you just can't be totally ignorant of these particular uh, areas. And particularly because sometimes there's really dramatically practice changing things that can, that can right. occur. I think about it. I've been practicing for let's say about almost nine, nine years since residency. And when I graduated residency, there was like the big thing during my residency was that Stellara, Utsukinumab came out and it was the fourth biologic and people's minds were blown. <laughs> and since then, like all the drugs that we think about how many different drugs and medications and treatments we have that um, we didn't even, couldn't even imagine back then. They hadn't even uh, started in clinical trials that we're now putting in, in patients every day. So even outside of academics, as you said, a clinically oriented person needs to have this general fund of just what's going on in the world around you. Uh, I really like the idea of skimming the titles and skimming the abstracts. I think if you hit those three, the JID is um, uh, is much more scientifically oriented. So I have to be honest, I don't actually dive into the JID that much. Mm -hmm. uh, no offense to uh, Joel Gelfand and the other folks who, who run that <laughs> journal. Uh, apologies. Uh, but for the ones that are clinically oriented, particularly JAD, and, and JAD is like a, a phone book, right? It's like this incredibly yeah. large sort of tome. If you flip through it, there's a couple of things you do that, then you can, you, you, you're into it, then you can uh, really uh, just take a taste. It's like a tapas man. You just take one bite. If you like it, then you go in for some more. Uh, but if you really want to develop this firm expertise, as Luke was saying, there really isn't that much literature for one specific topic. Even mm -hmm. something like psoriasis may have, you know, 20 to 30 articles a week, which sounds like a crazy amount, right? But that's for probably the most research area of dermatology. And then you can really go into the depth of the specific articles that you're interested in. Uh, so I think that's a, that, that's a, a wonderful sort of general approach. Otherwise, you have no idea what to do. I, the first time I remember, I would just pick up Jan and like read it like I was reading like a novel. It was, you couldn't get anywhere. <laughs> Nothing was going in. Nothing's going out. I don't know. And again, for people who are interested in going into dermatology because they're medical students or they're dermatology residents or what have you, um, this approach also gives you an idea of what is out there currently. So if you have ideas about what you want to do, mm -hmm. this gives you the ideas of, you know, 
stepping off points for other thoughts and how an article or a study is run and that kind of thing. So I think if you are looking to generate ideas, this is a great way to start too. Absolutely. Reviewing the literature always gives me more research ideas. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, like I've had more projects come out of doing Dermosphere than I ever would have imagined. I also just, Arash, I love the fact that you use the word tome. It's one of my favorite words. So I'm very <laughs> props to you. That was awesome. <laughs> well, like 90% of articles end with more research is acquired. So mm -hmm. <laughs> easy to figure out where to go. Yeah. So, so how long would this process take you uh, to sift through? And then, and then ultimately, how many articles do you usually decide to talk about? I don't know. I do it like in between patients and stuff. So I don't know how long it takes me. It doesn't take a ton of time. It's not like three hours a week. It's more like 30 to 60 minutes a week, probably. Mm -hmm. And then we usually pick five to seven. Six is definitely the most common, the mode. It's the mode. <laughs> Have you ever pissed somebody off with your review of their article? <laughs> I imagine that I have, but I haven't heard about it, if that's the case. And it's somewhat surprising because we've been doing this for a year and a half. And I usually email the authors to let them know. And everybody who's emailed back has been very nice. So maybe they're bashing me on social media. And I don't know it. <laughs> You've been canceled many times. Just kidding. But um, we actually like you know, we, we try to be really rigorous with our interpretation of the data. So I you know it's. We also try to kind of clarify how the data is analyzed. And I think that that's a useful tool for um, people in training, but we try to do it in sort of an accessible way. So when we were talking about like multivariate analysis, I remember I kind of explained that using the Scooby-Doo gang to try to kind of clarify what we mean when people do these kinds of techniques. And I think if you do it in a way that people can kind of envision in their heads, because they'll only be able to hear you, that it really helps. Plus we review articles that we think are useful and good. So we don't usually pick up the like, you know, ones that would get 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> my, you're saying my podcast, terrible articles in dermatology that I just uh, <laughs> rail on won't be as, won't be as popular. I don't know. It sounds fun though. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I like about, so I, what I, one of the things I really enjoy about your podcast is that I feel that Journal Club, which is a common fixture at a lot of programs, often gets derailed because people miss the forest for the trees. So when I do a research project, it, you know, you usually have a idea, you have a question. And, and Michelle, like you, a lot of my questions come from things that I read and patients that I see. So often it'd be applying an idea or principle somewhere you read into your patients, you know, oh, they did this in, in you know, atopic dermatitis, why not think about this in alpha or you know, et cetera, this type of thing. Or your patient sometimes asks you a question and you realize that nobody knows the answer. So that, that can encourage you to find out the answer, try to try to figure it out. And the way I describe it uh, to my trainees is that every project starts off where you have this like immaculate, like perfect sort of vision of what you want your project to be. I always say, think about this like the, the, the platonic form, like the most ideal and, and perfect form of it. And then as you get through the project and deal with the, the harsh realities of um, of just life and doing research and what your limits are with the data you have and how it's categorized and, and the amount of time and energy and effort you have. I hear I say harsh realities. Chris is going to bleep this, but I say it's the slap of reality is how I usually describe it. <laughs> then at the end, you basically are left with something that is not the way you wanted it 
to look like you guys are watching nailed it i feel you, you start with like yes. this is like what this is like the way the cake is supposed to look chris have you ever watched nailed it have you ever watched this? no you would be so offended by it because you're so good <laughs> at baking that you would find it just miserable and nailed it the idea is that you have like some professional makes this like mm -hmm. exquisite masterpiece. cake masterpiece like dessert and they have like three dudes that don't know anything was happening like don't know how to use a blender <laughs> to like to make it and it's they make fun of how bad it is basically that's that's that's, that's the point of it but you get the nailed it version sometimes then your question at that point is, I always ask, my litmus test is, would I, if I did this study, knowing all these limitations, would I still believe the outcome? And sometimes it's so limited and so restricted mm -hmm. that um, it's not worth pursuing at that time. I've had projects that I put on the side and then five years later, finally have gotten enough data or enough you know, access where I figured out a different way of doing it. Um, but a lot of good ideas you just can't execute. And I'll speak to two challenges with that. One is as a researcher, if you get, if you end up advancing something that you just is not on a firm foundation. That's when you spend, you know, six months working on a project that you submitted 14 times and nobody wants it, right? And right. that's just a painful place to be. But on the other end, I think when we look at uh, journal articles, and I and I, both in terms of personally when I read them, but also uh, I'm an editor for for JAMA Dermatology, and I read a lot of articles um, through that through that lens. It's very like if perfection is your goal, you, like we always say in JAMA dermatology, you want to publish perfect articles. We publish publish like a thin pamphlet like once a year to be like two articles in it, right? <laughs> we put out a monthly, we put out a monthly publication. The idea is like for the for the is the question good enough? Is the way they structure the data good enough to advance the field? Understanding that is very rare that you have one definitive paper that like ends the conversation that you work toward that. And I think a lot of times what we fail to understand and when we read articles is we only focus on what they don't tell us, right? We focus on the negative parts or the places mm -hmm. they messed up, which you need to be aware of, right? You need to be understand the limitations. But I think I appreciate how you guys look for kind of the nuggets of information, the knowledge, the kind of, they're almost like Hansel and Gretel, like little crumb tail trails, you know, leading you towards the greater truth. And over time, over the course of years, the field advances and you more move towards a greater understanding. I love that. I like thinking about it the way that a bee gets to a flower, right? Because they don't, really fly in a straight line but they get there because they're following the clues that they pick up on the winds that are blowing in the air and really you know as scientists we would love things to have hard edges and yeses and nos but we're dealing with the mushiness of biology mm -hmm. and so there's always going to be some areas that are a little bit less solid than we would like in terms of concrete proof but i think that's a perfect way to describe it you're heading in the direction of truth following following the breadcrumbs left by your colleagues i like that a lot yeah, I think that gives us part of the challenge of uh, medical communication during COVID is exactly what you're describing that most of the time the science is not playing out on a large, you know, international and political sphere just in front of everybody. And I think a lot of the public's frustration with why are ideas changing? Why is information changing? Why are mm -hmm. we not being consistent with policies, et cetera, is that we're like, everybody's just figuring this out, right? And some things we do are gonna be correct. Some things are gonna be wrong. If you fast forward in five years, I think we'll have a profound understanding of how to manage COVID and all its complications, these types of things. But, you know, moment to moment, it doesn't seem like that. And that's the same, whether it's COVID or psoriasis, you know, it's the same idea. I feel like those are really profound comments. Luke and Michelle, do you guys have the bell? Are you going to ring oh. it? Oh, <laughs> uh, we could barely hear that, Michelle. Give it another oh. try. All right. <laughs> That's good. The pimping bell. <laughs> pimping bell. Uh, 
I forget who I think you came up with the idea, Michelle. And we went through a few different uh, sounds, sound effects, probably in like episode seven. One of my initial submissions was the sound of somebody getting hit by a train. But <laughs> you also decided... had somebody, I think, getting eaten by a zombie, right? I feel well, like that was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the bell was uh, a little gentler. So the purpose of the bell is to highlight sort of testable material. So if you are a faculty in a residency program, that's something you can ask your residents about. Or if you're a resident, maybe this is a testable question you might want to pay extra attention to. And as long as we're here, kudos to my wife, Lindsay, who actually provided the true pimping bells. Yes, and actually there's two of them. So I have to keep one at the office up at work and one at my house. <laughs> I'll show you what happens when I don't have the one at work. So then this becomes the pimping bell. And it's uh, not really uh, as good. <laughs> she, Michelle is using a pen to bash on a glass vase. <laughs> That's good. I like that. So, Luke, I want to ask you about the name of your podcast. So, mm -hmm. so Chris and I have debated the, na debated the name of our podcast for a bit. There's a, there's a name that I really liked. that we I don't even want you to say it out loud. Get to do it. <laughs> And I want to run this by you, okay? <laughs> Podcast vulgaris. How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I get the connection. I like that part. Um, you could potentially attract some people who are just looking for like a shock jock or something like that. And then you'd, you'd be accidentally educating these people, which could be, you know, that's how you get super villains. So you have to watch out for that kind of thing. But I, I see where you're coming from. I feel that. I, I'm willing to license a, that name. If anybody <laughs> wants it, I can license it to you. Don't worry. It's a great title for your terrible dermatology articles. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh. <laughs> oh I thought you were going to say epidermolysis podosa. <laughs> that was not a real name. That was just, that was just, we were just, we were, look, the, the, the principles of a brainstorm, you enter mm -hmm. a brainstorm, the idea is that just people just start saying stuff and doing stuff and they're, not supposed to be just like an even kill nobody's judging anybody <laughs> and now here i am five years on a national podcast still being judged for a uh, uh th th this name so thank you for uh generating that space safe space for me chris i, I appreciate that this but is our, being this judged is our... positively yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what's in the future for you guys in terms mm -hmm. of your your podcast what directions are so you, you you've you've have kind of new segments you have these annual awards you have these different things. I, I'm going to both ask you this question, also propose to you that you should do a live AAD recording, which is probably illegal, but I will I will put a mic under the table. If you want. <laughs> um, I think this. I think the idea of making just things accessible. It's gonna be painful to read articles, right? It's mm -hmm. it's. Uh, I I literally it's part of my job is to read like every week. I'm reading articles. You you think the articles you sometimes read are rough? You can imagine things that you send in that nobody ever gets to see. Um, it's a lot of, it, it can be a lot of effort. So what, what direction are you going to go? What's, what's the future for you guys? Well, we would like to get the word out there. Um, I love the idea of doing a live show at the AAD or something. I would even more love the idea that we did that. And a lot of people came to see it mm -hmm. instead of just like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> With the number of dermatology podcasts that now exist, you know, we could think about creating a full afternoon that's like one live podcast after another. So mm -hmm. that if there are people who want to come and sit through them all, then we could. I would love to have more guests on. So sometimes I've kicked around the idea of doing real segments. I, I like the way our podcast is now. You know, we discuss six articles or so. It takes about an hour. We get some good information out there. We've had some guests in the past. We could do that some more. 
we could, you know, I've thought in the past about like having a segment when it's just like funny patient stories or just something a little mm -hmm. bit lighter than going through the articles. We've also um, worked a, a little bit in the past about having like a residence quarter and mm -hmm. um, corner, sorry. And I think that expanding that a little bit is a good idea just to get perspective from the residents, especially when it's topics that, you know, affect them. I think we had some of the residents talk about imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and how that is pervasive in dermatology residency um, on one of the podcasts that included residents. I was, I've also wondered about having um, like a guest expert, like somebody who, because Luke and I cover a lot of dermatology, but not all of dermatology. So we thought of having like somebody who is a, you know, specialist in a certain area of like potentially surgical derm that we don't have as full of coverage on or something like that, just to give their two cents or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then we could even call it that. We could call it my two cents. Um, I think that would be really fun. <laughs> I I think for for a, a surgical one, it would be my $200,000. But it would, it would be the, same. The, the idea, I think the principle is the same. But go, please continue, Michelle. I love that idea. I actually like being here with you guys. I think there should be an AAD um, section on like the uh, podcasting sphere or whatever like you know mm -hmm. that's actually how we came up with the idea of dermosphere mm. um was what we, we wanted to look at what's you know the atmosphere of dermatology so what's circulating in the ether uh but i think like it would actually be useful to have a focus session or something just about what we've learned from like podcasting how we can use it in education and practice and stuff like that so if you guys want to put together i i'm i'm excited to put together a proposal and you guys can like put in your two cents or your $200,000, depending on which <laughs> specialty you practice. Definitely two cents for us. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so we're easy. But no, I, I, I do think that there could be a whole session on this at the AED and not even just, not just limited to podcasting, but we use so much multimedia and so much technology in the way that we educate each other, educate the late public, you know, people who are really active on Twitter doing tutorials and, and there's just a whole new world out there. And I think we could easily fill a session or an afternoon. So yeah, we should definitely petition the AAD as we're talking to our, patting ourselves on the back for all that <laughs> I think we've it's accomplished. A great idea. No, I think it's a great <laughs> idea. And honestly, just, you know, one thing that I think Luke and I, and I know you guys also are just passionate about is providing a resource to our community and mm -hmm. people who want to join our community, because, you know, the better educated we all are, the better the state of dermatology is and the better care our patients are going to get. Very well said. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a, I, I know you guys have, we talked right before we went on the podcast, you guys have a highly choreographed, like beautifully done podcast, mm -hmm. but I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I'm going to present, I'm going to read a part of an article and I want to get your, your feedback on it. Okay. <laughs> you may or may not have seen this article. This is a December, 2020 article from the Christmas edition of the BMJ, which is famous for slightly different types of articles. The name of the article is Effectiveness of Hospital Clowns for Symptom Management in Pediatrics, a Systematic <laughs> Review of Randomized and Non-Randomized Controlled Trials. So the authors reviewed and like using exquisite methods, which is like this amazing thing with like, it's like a real systematic review. They identified 24 studies and uh, 13 of which were randomized controlled trials. I wonder, I did not, did not specify if people were randomized to no clown or to a sham clown, like a, <laughs> a fake clown. What which was I the think placebo? Is, yeah, I think it's a very, a very important methodological point and I am writing a pointed letter to, this, um, to these authors uh, right after this podcast. This is amazing. Five study used biomarkers, mainly cortisol to assess stress or fatigue outcome following hospital clowns. So. There's, there's some, some suggestion and the conclusions were these findings suggest that 
the presence of hospital clowns during medical procedures, induction of anesthesia in the preoperative room, and as part of routine care for chronic conditions might be a beneficial strategy to manage some symptom clusters. So, Michelle, as a, as, as a or actually Luke, sorry, as a pediatrically focused dermatologist, how would this impact your, your career, your work? You couldn't even say it with a straight face. Well, I, of course, am the hospital oh, clown God. for yeah. our hospital. I mean, uh, yes, you know. We could study dad jokes to more specifically get at my style of humor. That, that could be the sham. That could be the, the yeah. control arm. Uh, it could be telling a dad joke with a funny wig. So I don't know if hospital clowns are all that prevalent anymore, but we definitely have child life services, which are people who come and have iPads and toys and things. Mm -hmm. And I think those people are definitely helpful. And actually there's literature that that kind of stuff can reduce the amount of like opioids and benzos that mm. kids need. The fact that this study exists just makes me happy. But I also, I have to ask if any of the studies were centered in France because French clowns are very different than clowns oh, everywhere like a, else. like a mime, like yeah. a mime. <laughs> You're I think always that, this heterogeneity, I think, is, is really important. Um, and I think yeah, the fact like that, that they yeah. drew biomarkers, the blood draw probably <laughs> yeah. really elevated the cortisol levels in these poor children <laughs> do, do and negated the effects of the clowns. We, we try to do like a study where we ask people like two questions with a survey. It takes six months to get to the IRB and these guys are like sending a clown into the room and testing <laughs> like your, your cortisol afterwards. And I, I, I just, I just need, to, need to think through that. The other part was it being in the induction of anesthesia. I'm like, so... <laughs> You're already in a hallucinogenic prone right. state, and here's a clown. You know? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, Pennywise didn't make it onto the onto the list. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. This is. I have a second question. There's a follow up question. This actually, Chris just chatted this to me. Um, this, do you want me to ask you this question? She said, "How does it feel being the second best dermatology podcast?" And how's that? that that's, the, that's her question. I, After I, dialogues, you and guys know whether that's true or not. <laughs> you know, that would be quite a promotion, I think. But um, <laughs> you know, what I love is that there's synergy. I think across the derm the derm podcasting world. So you you guys are filling a wonderful need for I think just kind of debriefing about the work that we do, mm -hmm. um, helping people get an introduction into what we take care of on a day-to-day -day basis. I think your um, personal relatability is such a positive force and I think it's wonderful. And what we do is really different. Um, you know, it's just a different like uh, sort of part of the piece of the puzzle that we can just build to help improve things. But we would love to be second to you guys. You kidding me? That's like being runner up to, you know, Tyra Banks or something. I'll take it. Well, well once we send you um, both of our listeners uh, to join your podcast, then we'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll share in the wealth. Yeah. yeah. Our parents. Our parents. Yeah, that's oh. literally, that's what we've been. Yeah. So, so guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We had a wonderful time. It's great to see you. having just heard your, heard your voices um, and it, it, it's, it's good to do that. I feel um, Luke and I are going to enter um, like some, some therapy together. Maybe some just, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's hard, but, you know, I didn't appreciate that Luke when I started this podcast that Chris would outshine me in the way that she has. It's, it's, it's hurting my feelings <laughs> a little bit. You might be going through a similar thing. So I feel we can just talk about it later and, and, and work through it. I um, thought you were going to say you guys are going to make a bow tie catalog. That too. I, also, I'm going to share with you, Luke, um, I have a tattoo of a bow tie. So when I take this off, I'm still really wearing it. So I don't have to ever feel naked. Um, it helps me a lot. I thought that was a tattoo. <laughs> so uh, just one more time for our um, listeners, where if Dermosphere is the name of your podcast, is, is uh, how often does it come on? It comes on 
every two weeks. Every mm-hmm. two weeks. And it's, uh, it's about a, a review of the literature in dermatology. Where can they find your podcast? So anywhere that you can find podcasts, you should be able to find ours. According to the statistics, Apple Podcasts is by far the most popular. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on our website, dermospherepodcast.com. Dermosphere is D-E-R-M-A, sphere, mm-hmm. and then podcast.com. We also have some social media accounts. So thanks to Ryan Carlisle, our medical student and member of Team Dermosphere who manages those, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Oh, Wow. Very we need good. to get a medical student to manage our <laughs> accounts. I haven't, and try to... I haven't done a very good job managing our accounts. So I think you're right, Chris. I think, uh, we yeah, Rosh to... manages our you accounts. Just email me that guy's name and then we'll, 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 go up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we'll make sure to, uh, we'll test them out. You know, that. this has been so much fun. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you guys for having us on.